Hi, I'm Brad Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. It's hard to overstate the importance of the policy shift on vaping announced this week by the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. In its latest National Smoking Cessation Guidelines, the college now supports GPs and other health professionals if they wish to recommend vaping to smokers who have tried to quit but were unsuccessful with currently available medications. As is the case in most Western countries, GPs in Australia are typically the first point of contact in matters of personal health for millions of smokers. Now smokers can ask their GP about vaping and learn that vaping is an effective tool to quit smoking and that it's 95% less harmful than smoking. It's an extraordinary development considering Australia remains one of the more hostile regulatory and public health environments towards vaping. Joining us today live from Australia is Alan Mendelson, tobacco treatment specialist and associate professor at the School of Public Health and Community Medicine at the University of New South Wales, Sydney. So Dr. Mendelson, thank you so much for joining us today on RegWatch. Uh, hi, Brett. Thank you for asking me. Now, uh, this policy shift here in Australia, I mean, it was a big deal when you posted that out on Athra's website. I'll get you to explain that organization in a second. It made, uh, you know, huge rounds, at least in North America. Uh, amongst the vaping and advocate uh, community. Tell us about why this is such a big deal and more about the announcement. Yeah, look, this was a big surprise to all of us, including me, and I'm on the committee that develops the guidelines. But the college has developed the national guidelines for some years now. Every few years, they put out a new iteration. Uh, and for the first time, they've they've reviewed the evidence on vaping and, and comprehensively and decided that, uh, yes, it definitely has a role for smokers who can't quit. They were fairly cautious about the way they've pitched it. They've said that uh, for smokers who've tried other methods and failed, uh, who are motivated to ask their GP, it's reasonable for the GP to recommend vaping to those patients. And that comes with certain other criteria which are standard that patients should have informed consent. So they should know that none of these products are approved by our regulator, that they should not dual use, that they should uh, um, try and quit uh, vaping even as soon as they can. So with those, with those criteria, uh, the college has offered support for vaping, having reviewed the evidence very carefully. So they did a very rigorous review. They did a meta-analysis, which was outsourced and which clearly showed the benefits of vaping. Uh, they found that the harmful effects of vaping were very small. And clearly there are many people who would, be, would qualify for those criteria. So many people uh, are unable to quit and still want to quit and would be willing to ask their GP. And now the GPs have permission to support them. When you say um, permission, now that I, I think this is really important for us to start to dig through a little bit because the professional associations for doctors, they can pretty much rule out your ability whether or not you're able to, you know, uh, what is it? I don't want to say recommend because that is the term to use, but I mean, full-throated kind of getting behind vaping. Like in Canada, I know, for instance, there's registered nurses that we know that have felt the crackdown, you know, even at the nursing level, that they can't even really talk about it. If they are mm -hmm. to even mention it, that they're going to get some mm -hmm. problems even with their union uh, yeah. and so forth. So, I mean, is that really the level of what we're seeing here? We're seeing, you know, yeah. something lifted up and off? Well, exactly. I think it's always been legal to prescribe nicotine, and I, I do it regularly uh, for the for criteria that we've talked about. But because the health authorities haven't approved vaping, GPs have been, been naturally concerned about prescribing it. So they figured, well, if the peak health bodies, the medical associations and health charities say not to prescribe it, well, perhaps there's a good reason not to. Uh, unfortunately, the evidence does not support that view. And I think removing, giving GPs permission now, uh, based on what their college has, has decided and a very rigorous review of the evidence, will We'll give them permission to to proceed, perhaps to investigate, have more of an open mind. It will give patients um, uh, a willingness to seek help, knowing that the college has supported vaping. And I think what's also important is that 
it will help to make a crack in the groupthink, which is driving policy in Australia. Groupthink, describe to us um, mm. you know, how much of a peril that is for vaping in Australia. Yeah. yeah, look, what's happened in Australia is that basically there's universal resistance to vaping. So I'm talking about the Federal Health Department, all the state health departments, all the health charities, the Cancer Council, the Heart Foundation, the Lung Foundation, uh, all the medical associations, the AMA, Thoracic Society, the College of Physicians, um, except for the Royal Australian New Zealand College of Psychiatrists, who are the only organisation to have come forward to support vaping. So it's been very easy for organisations to say, well, it's safer to stay with the group. If we stick our neck out and say, okay, look, the evidence is shifting and there is something to support vaping, well, all the others are going to come down on top of us. And that includes the peak health body, the National Health and Medical Research Council, our, our health regulators, the TGA. So it's much safer to just stay in line and avoid any, any risk from uh, that, a backlash from that. So two things I want to take care of from an administrative point of view. Our viewers are not going to know what a peak organization is. So if you could explain what that is, that would be helpful. So, yeah, so our peak organization is the National Health and Medical Research Council. And they're a highly respected organization that develops policy, uh, does reviews and guides uh, medical practice in Australia. And peak really does mean like an advocacy group that's a professional organization, right? Not exactly. It's a government organisation, but the advice they give is followed largely by regulators and health departments. So though most people will, will fall back what the NHMRC says. So if they say vaping, we shouldn't vape, then people are very reluctant to go against that because they're the experts. All right. Okay. So then, you know, you mentioned a couple of times already prescribing nicotine. Now, that phrase, right, for us in North America, it, I mean, it eludes me. I certainly understand, but if I put my non-RegWatch cap on, and even RegWatch cap, I'm like, what do you mean by prescribing nicotine, and how does that relate at all to being able to go to your local retail shop yeah. and buying, you know, a vape? Yes, you can go to your retail shop and buy cigarettes uh, with the greatest of ease, but if you want to buy a much safer liquid nicotine alternative, then that is illegal in Australia. Except in the situation where a doctor gives you a prescription to use that for a therapeutic purpose. So if you have a script, you can import nicotine because it can't be sold in Australia and you can possess and use it. Now the problem is that GPs generally won't prescribe nicotine because you now the health authorities have said, it's look, it's we don't approve it. And, and they're concerned that they're not sure how to do it. There's been no training. So GPs aren't willing to give those prescriptions. And there are a handful of GPs, literally, in the whole of Australia who will. So unfortunately, that's the requirement. So nicotine is classified as a dangerous poison. Um, now, the curious thing is that's in our poison standard. So what's called our poison standard, which is a classification of poisons. What's specifically excluded from the classification of poisons is nicotine in tobacco for smoking. So that's excluded. So you so can that's buy. Not a, that's not a poison. That's not a poison. You can go and buy that from the local supermarket uh, without any question. But if you want to buy a safer alternative, which millions of people have used to quit, that's not allowed. And doing so is a criminal offence if you don't have. A prescription. You could go to jail for buying nicotine. Yes. But not if you're buying a cigarette. No. So if you, in, the, the rules vary from one state to another, but they vary from up to a period of two years in jail for possessing liquid nicotine without a prescription and fines up to $45,000 for each offense. $45,000. Yeah, so people have the choice, either they continue to smoke, I mean, for, for those who can't quit, they continue to smoke and have a, an up to two in three chance of death from smoking, or they break the law. And unfortunately, we're forcing people into a position where they are required to commit a criminal offence to save their own lives, to protect their own health. 
and clearly there's there's a, an ethical uh, issue there. So this is a this truly is a big deal uh, that the royal you know the royal royal Australian College of General Practitioners has made this move. It, it is. It, it's but you know. The debate in Australia has not been driven by the evidence up till now. So, you know, the, the, the opponents to vaping say, oh, we're taking a cautious approach because well, we're concerned about the kids, we're concerned about dual use, we're concerned about the long-term health effects. All those issues have really been debunked by the evidence. But what they're concealing, what's really driving the opposition is a whole range of other things which they won't speak about. And we're talking about uh, a long-term commitment to uh, abstinence-based ideology. Um, we're talking about a, a fear of changing the status quo. We're talking about moral issues. Smokers shouldn't be taking a drug of addiction. They should just stop. So we're not going to allow this. We're talking about is this ring being driven by the tobacco companies? They're getting into it now, so we better stop it. Uh, it's driven by vested interests. And a lot of people think that the $17 billion that the, the Australian government takes from smokers uh, may be playing a small role in the ban on vaping. Well, that is the same thing that people think here too as well. I've always said that... Um you know, the, the, the tobacco control industry, uh, right up from, and I'll use the U.S. as an example, because, mm. of course, you've got billions going every year to the states from tobacco. You've got, you know, hundreds of millions going to FDA and CDC. They fund mm. that. They fund the Center for Tobacco Products. Mm. And then, of course, every single state has its own tobacco control people, and every mm. single county and cities have them too. So there's, and then of course, there's all of the local community colleges that train people in tobacco control and public health and so forth. And when you, when you look at it, I mean, there is an entire uh, uh, industrial infrastructure exactly. uh, wrapped up, connected with academia and funding government. Mm -hmm. So it's not even as, as much, though it is big in the States, the fact that there, there are the tobacco settlement money that was borrowed against, and that's an issue. But to me, that is almost secondary to mm. this the whole entire infrastructure that's funded. And let yep. me just make this point, because mm. I know that there are some anti-vaping people in Australia likely tuned in to this broadcast, and they might not watch all the time. But let me just say that, um, that tobacco control needs a certain amount of structural smoking in order mm. to make it uh, uh, sustainable. And it's mm. just a simple fact of life look i think there are people in the tobacco control industry in big public health who have spent careers uh fighting tobacco and nicotine uh trying to destroy the evil tobacco industries there's been a lot of funding linked to that for charities and other organizations and if smoking disappears uh that will certainly change the landscape and vaping is the biggest threat that we've ever had to smoking. Uh, it's a serious concern. And some people are concerned about their legacy. They've, they've traditionally uh, followed the, the traditional tobacco control strategies, which have worked up till now, but now they're not. In Australia, we have 1.2% of the population of vaping compared to, say, 6.3% in the UK. And... What's happening in Australia is that our smoking rates are no longer falling. So over the last six years, in our two major uh, national surveys, uh, smoking rates, the decline has slowed significantly, whereas in countries like the US and the UK, which, which uh, make vaping freely available, uh, smoking rates are falling faster than ever. They've actually accelerated and they've passed Australia and, you know, we're sure that vaping is playing a significant role in that. Yeah, I'm just calling up uh, that. Oh, I think it, 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 I guess I was calling it up. I guess that was going live. Uh, sorry about that. One second. That shouldn't have been the case, actually. There we go. And that was mm -hmm. uh, the smoking rates you're talking about right there, correct? Yeah, so the, the grey lines are the Australian smoking rates and green is 
the UK and red as the US. And what it shows is that smoking rates in Australia since about 2013 ha have not declined significantly, whereas they've accelerated in the US and the UK. Uh, and and uh, the population studies there show that vaping is playing a significant role. Uh, I don't see how you can ignore that. We've hit a wall in Australia, and uh, and this graph shows how how little vaping we have available in Australia, and we have a huge upside. So if we can increase our vaping rates, you know, under under sensible regulation, so it's available to smoking adults but not to young people, and there are ways to do that. They're doing that very well in the UK. So if we can do that, um, we, there's a huge upside in 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 uh, re reinvigorating our smoking cessation strategy. Now it's not part of the agenda of the traditional uh, tobacco control people. They like to do it another way, the way they've always done it before. But uh, that's not working like it did before. And I think we have to accept that. And I think vaping should be a supplement to the traditional things. So we have the highest smoking, the highest cigarette prices in the world in Australia. And we're told how useful that is in lowering smoking rates. Well, actually, after a certain point, we do have a law of diminishing returns. Plain packaging appears not to have made a difference. So they came in in 2012, and we've had six cigarette price rises since then as well, and smoking rates haven't changed. And that's got to tell you something. We've got very strict tobacco control laws in Australia, but smoking rates are not changing. We need something else. So how come the opposition then isn't getting it? Like, what, what is it? You mentioned it could be some ideology, it could be dollars, it could be just entrenchment. Um, but there is a religious zeal uh, among some there of these is. people. Yeah, there is. And how do you explain that? Yeah, look, I think it's, it's what we, I think we're a victim to some extent of our own success. I mean, we, we've led the pack for many years and we feel we're pretty good at smoking cessation. Um, we've, you know, we've introduced plain packaging and a number of other measures. And now I think, well, why do we need this? People often say, well, you know, we're very good at this. But what they can't seem to understand is that we're actually not anymore. And, and we have this group think where everyone is kind of lined up together they, they talk in an echo chamber, they're not willing to do a critical analysis and no one's willing to step outside except, and, and I have to compliment the college on this, the College of GPs, who have looked at the evidence and said, well, wait a minute, there are people who need this option. It's got to be safer than smoking. And the Royal Australian and New Zealand College of Psychiatrists. And I think maybe we're starting to see a small crack in the wall and hopefully common sense will prevail uh, over time. I'm curious about the timing because, you know, here in North America, we just went through mm. and are still undergoing uh, to a large degree this hysteria. Uh, I mean, mm. it's on the wane, but the fact of the mm. matter is, is that regulators generally, you know, uh, take a little while longer. So the hysteria, the immediate media hysteria may be over mm. with, but the damage is done and the mm. regulators and the nonprofit health groups, the pressure groups, the fear entrepreneurs, mm. you know, cancer, heart, mm. lung, mm. I call them fear entrepreneurs because they're mm. not, they're not, they're not uh, uh, benevolent. It, it, you know, this oh. is, they use fear in order to gain power. And yes. part of that is money, but. Yes, yes, absolutely. And look, we've, we've suffered from that in Australia. So the vape shops will tell you that they're, their sales and particularly of new customers have dropped by 25% because of that. And, and the sensational headlines, uh, the media have some responsibility with that because they haven't separated the, the, the conflation of nicotine vaping with contaminated THC oils, which have caused all the problems. Um, and not only that, our, our health officials have exploited this to imply and conflate those lung deaths with the um, with the the uh, with nicotine vaping. So they've exploited this, and in fact, on the government's website, it still says we don't know what's caused these lung deaths, and people shouldn't vape because people have died. And we've written to the chief medical officer on two occasions, and just get a form letter back. You know, I think the evidence is very clear, but it's being exploited by people who should know better. 
Yeah, well, and that's the thing. And that's what makes it difficult here um, for a lot of people, certainly for me, is because 30 years in uh, broadcasting, uh, you know, I've got a graduate degree in, in basically in postmodernism. Um, so, you know, I'm classically trained Marxist um, as well as a capitalist. And uh, so, you know, I can call bullshit on both sides of the fence. And when I look at um, what these progressives are doing, uh, when they're outright lying uh, mm. to the public, and uh, and the, and they're vicious about it too. Mm. Yeah, vicious. And look, as as an association, we've been subjected to horrible attacks by people trying to undermine us. I mean, it's not about the evidence. They're saying, you know, things about us which are untrue, making lies about us on national radio. Uh, a well-known billionaire basically said, look, don't believe anything he says. Um, the tobacco companies pay him to say what he says. Um, you know, it, it, and, and there are certain well-known public health advocates who are very nasty and sarcastic. It, it, the point to us is simply it's not about the evidence. They can't win on the evidence. So they're looking for other ways to, to bring us down. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly. And, you know, with from Regulator Watch, you know, we're funded by industry and by, you know, individual uh, contributions from viewers. That's the way it is from the day that we started when we were when we're doing pieces on resources um, that's funded by industry, too, as well. If you go to our about section, it tells you, you know, straight up what our news values are. And mm. I choose and have 100 percent editorial control of RegWatch. That's the way it's been all the time. In fact, I find stories and positions that I have, and I go out and find people that'll fund it, uh, so so that we can go to air. So it really is. It, we, you know, it's it's. I would love to have somebody kind of really bitch at Regwatch uh, about the fact that we're funded by industry, but it almost never happens because we were upfront from day one, and all, and clearly our content. I'm in control of it. Nobody else is, good or bad, right? But that's the thing. So I'd like to see somebody, you know, come out and say, oh. You know, Reg Watch is controlled by the tobacco industry or by the vaping mm. industry. It's just not. Oh, yeah. It's just not the case. Well, we get that all the time. I mean, we're a registered Australian health promotion charity uh, established by a group of doctors. Uh, we're funded by public donations. Now, we've admitted right from the beginning that to set up the charity, which is very expensive, we we took funding from the small vape sector. Mm. Uh, we stopped that a year ago. Uh, we've never accepted funding from big tobacco. Uh, but, you know, accepting funding from the vape sector is no different to uh, any other charity. You know, charities take money from companies which have an interest in what the charity is trying to achieve. Um, the groups are run by um, a, a group of, of dedicated doctors who are concerned about public health. And, you know, we're an evidence-based lobby group. And yet uh, I think that's the problem, that our opponents feel they have to smear us in some way to undermine us. Because what we're saying, I think uh, it makes sense. Well, and, you know, I, I, we don't have this conversation enough on RegWatch, and so we might as well have it today, and I'm kind of keen to do that. And that is that, um, you know, for one, it's their, it's their tactic that they've created that somehow certain kinds of industries, when they give money and you work with them, you're somehow tainted and smeared and you're, and you're deplatformed. Well, that's no surprise that these same people deplatform people over diversity, race, and everything else. I mean, and free speech. They, they it's in their DNA to do mm. that. Meanwhile, um, of course, uh, there is no uh, there is no greater influence than taking government money. There's no greater exactly. influence. I, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. When you take money yeah. from government. You are in. You are sucking at the teat. Hmm. I wish we had some government money. Our opponents have lots of government money. No one seems to worry about that. And a lot of the charities, um, our biggest retailer is the biggest sale, seller of uh, cigarettes. Uh, funny that that's never raised as an issue. I mean, you can go looking and digging dirt, you know, if you, if you wish. Um, and we don't do that. But certainly our opponents are very happy to dig it for us. Yeah, well, that's, that's like I said, that's the game that game uh, you know i would take so much money from like the worst corporations just so i could then smash these people because mm. by the way it's the same people that on climate change on so many of the environmental issues on the they're the same people i bet you you find the most uh vicious 
detractor that you have and find out what other topics that person is also, you know, equally down the road on. And I bet you they're, they're similar. You can find similarities across the whole group. Possibly. The, the other way of looking at it is that I think it shows that we're on the right side, to be, to be honest. I think it means that they, they've lost the argument. That they can't argue the facts anymore. All they can do is try and undermine us. And, you know, look, it doesn't bother me anymore. I know we're, we're, we're on the right track and I know we'll win. And I have to say, my colleague Alex Wodak, who's an internationally recognised harm reduction expert, says this fight in tobacco harm reduction is no different to all the other uh, campaigns he's been involved with in the past. That includes clean needle exchanges, condoms to avoid AIDS, um, medically supervised injecting rooms, methadone programs. They've all had the same kind of bitter, resent, relentless, hostile opposition. And, you know, people look down the track 10 years later and say, well, well why didn't we do this earlier? And, and I think people see it for what it is. But unfortunately, it delays um, life-saving opportunities. But this is no different to all the other campaigns. I bet you a lot of people don't, you know, hmm, what's the right way to frame this? From... I really wish that I had a public health textbook, I guess is really what I'm saying. I, I would love to have, I would love somebody to send RegWatch, you know, a complete two years of notes and, and textbooks from public health, because I'd like to look in there and, and see what they're teaching uh, students about fear and how to use fear. Because, yeah. because I absolutely know for 100% for a fact, because I've, I've seen, um, you know, academic papers on this from public health um, as mm -hmm. a discipline talking about fear appeals. <laughs> And yeah. how to use a fear appeal in public health. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. This, so this isn't yeah. just us going over here going, oh, they're scaremongering. No, that's actually a public health tactic. Yes. And, and I think people in the past will admit that. They've, they've felt that the greater good justifies something like that. Uh, and I know somebody who ran an earlier um, public health tobacco control campaign, and they said, look, we, we tried to frighten people. Um, and, and sure, maybe we went a bit far, but we thought it was for their own good. And I think that's where the problem is with tobacco control. Um, it's a lot of what they do, it, it's actually none of their business. Um, you know, they, they, they've taken charge of people's lives and they're telling people what to do, not allowing people to make their own personal rational decisions. And I think, I think they've overstepped their mark in many areas. And that's not to say they haven't done a lot of good in the past. But I think it needs to be reevaluated. Yeah, um, yeah, I totally agree. It, it it's hard it's hard to talk sometimes about this the way that you way that I think that it logically can be seen without sounding like you need to put on a tinfoil hat. But the fact mm -hmm. of the matter is, is that they are taking measures and trying to take control. They're in a way what they're doing is is they're um, discounting personhood. Mm. They're undermining personhood. Mm, yes. And, and I think they're losing credibility. You know, if they come out with clearly, clearly emotional misinformation, you know, what about next time they come out with something about the coronavirus? So people are going to think, well, they were obviously wrong on the other issue. Uh, I think that's a serious you know, um, issue for, for the community. So let me ask you uh, with regard to uh, the lung hysteria, and it's our belief at RegWatch, and you know we're not on out on a ledge here at all. But the CDC, uh, you know, knuckle dragged for three months, and uh, I believe on purpose, um, uh, they you know used uh, this illness as a pretext to really kill vaping, and as a part of that, they had to continue the big lie. Uh, as mm. long as they could, and that led to people mm. dying. It certainly mm. led to more people dying. So I wanted yeah. to ask you what, you know, you and your colleagues down in Australia of like mind, do you see that the same way? Yeah, look, we, we published a blog back in August saying that this was nothing to do with uh, nicotine vaping. Uh, I think it was from a, it was beyond all reasonable doubt from early on that this was nothing to do with nicotine vaping. And the evidence became clearer and clearer as time went by. And we put that message out. We tried to get it into the media, and certainly there was some success with that. But, um, yeah, the, the, um, the media generally and the public health authorities and the, the charities all exploited it. 
uh, and they all say, oh, yes, but look what World Health Organization and the CDC are saying. Uh, and we said, well, actually, look at the evidence. But it, it just didn't seem to, um, to, to, to break through. And, and that's a tragedy because a lot of people who would have gone to vaping uh, actually continued to smoke. And people who, who vaped went back to smoking. And, and that's irresponsible. So when you mentioned the coronavirus, uh, I mean, right at this exact moment when CDC is talking about an outbreak, at least mm. thank God they're using the terminology of, right, outbreak and epidemic. Yes, you can apply mm. that to something mm. like this, not yeah. to teen vaping. That's been driving me absolutely bonkers for 18 yeah. months, yeah. calling yeah. Th that an epidemic. So yeah. I, don't know, I don't know how anybody who is aware of the deception that the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in the United States, the, the, the deception that they undertook, I don't know how anybody who's aware of that could possibly not have a tinge when they hear the news about the coronavirus. I yeah. wonder I wonder why is uh, airline travel not closed from China to the US? Now, it may have closed in the last three or four hours since I, I last checked, but as far as I know, you could still fly from China from the ground zero affected area straight mm. into Los Angeles. And why is that? Because CDC uh, is making political decisions again, uh, as opposed to decisions that are in the welfare of, of the people. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think it's very much more than the evidence. It's very much more than that. It's about politics. I mean, for politicians, um, there's a lot to be lost in, in, uh, 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 allowing vaping. So in Australia, um, our health department has said that the most important thing he can do in office is to prevent vaping. <laughs> and the, uh, the shadow health minister has the same view. We have a lot of support in parliament, but uh, unfortunately the, the people who make these decisions and, and the peak health body, the regulator and the health charities, they've all sort of taken this position and it's not about the evidence. It's about all those other things we talked about earlier. Yeah, which I have that slide right here. So let's see if I can get that up. Reasons for negative views. And, and Dr. Mendelson, thank you so much for all of your great work over just the last day here, helping to get the show together with some great slides, this being one of them. Yeah, th th this basically shows that look, these organizations have a position, which is, oh, we can't be, we can't take a risk because we have to be cautious. There may be a problem. What they don't take into account that there actually are huge, is a huge downside in not taking that risk. So these are smaller potential risks, but a huge potential upside. And what's behind that argument is all these other issues that go on. Oh, but what about big tobacco? People should quit smoking. They shouldn't be allowed to use nicotine. We don't like smokers. And, and all our other organisations... Uh, agree with us, so it must be right. And, and it's best not to change things because something new, we don't know, it's a bit scary. Um, so for all the wrong reasons, which are concealed, they don't talk about those. They talk about things like the youth epidemic, which is not an epidemic. Uh, and, and they refuse to accept the evidence. Yeah, it's not, and it, well, you know, it's stubborn. That's a key thing in my mind. You mentioned something earlier um, and it was, uh, let me see if I can get this right. It hearkened to basically, and it's something that we believe that from, and this isn't, I, this isn't ideology, I guess it's more, it's more, I think it's something that's inside your soul. And that is, um, a belief in a strategy called end the ends justify the means. Mm. And mm. so their ability to lie and ossificate and to actually mm. maybe allow people to mm. die and so forth is okay because it's for the greater good, as you yeah. put it. Yeah. And so the term for that is, you know, ends justify the means. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, I think people make these decisions and they believe that they're doing the right thing. But yeah. it's all about these other issues in their heads and their values and priorities it's not about the evidence that that's that's for sure and that's what we're seeing and so then within that regard let me add then the second thing that that clearly uh it goes with ends justify the means 
but mm -hmm. it, it operates on its own. And I know you're familiar with it and it's the death knell for science. And that's the precautionary principle. Mm. Mm. Why don't you tell yeah, our like viewers I, about that? Th yeah. That's the basis of Australia's opposition to vaping. They all come back to the cautionary principle. And the cautionary principle says that, look, if there are risks of introducing something new, we don't know everything about it, well, it's best to wait until we find out. Now, that's okay, but not in the case of smoking. Because in the case of smoking, we know for sure that up to two in three people will die from smoking if they continue to smoke long term. And you have to weigh that up against the small and potential risks. And the fact is that we don't have complete evidence, and we probably never will, because most vapors were already smokers. But, you know, we have to be careful not to let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And that, that there are times when you have enough evidence, but not perfect evidence, but enough evidence to make a decision. And we can't ignore that evidence. And that's what I think they want to do until they get complete evidence. And then they still will find other reasons why uh, vaping shouldn't be allowed. Well, that's right. And the irony is, is the precautionary principle states that actually in the absence of evidence and mm. you believe there's going to be harm, but you don't have the evidence, but your belief is so strong that there's mm. going to be harm, then it's your duty then to mm. restrict or, or abstain yeah. from that action. Yeah. So it's exactly. really, it's just criminal. It's just criminal, that kind of thinking. And then what you just said was that in the end, then if you get enough evidence, they're still always mm. going to come back and say, well, they want more, they want more. But wait a minute, you always want more evidence from mm. the vaping side, yet on your side, you're like, well, we don't know yet, let's ban it, mm. right? So That's right. very That's little right. evidence and, and is all they need, and all yeah. we have to have is more yeah. evidence than we possibly could ever amount. Well, exactly, and there's a, there's a double standard here. No one requires this level of evidence from any new drug or treatment. Like any new drug that comes onto the market, okay, there's been several years of research, then we have a drug which we know a certain amount about, we put it on the market and do post-marketing surveillance. And that's acceptable. And that's what we do with every new product. We don't wait 30 years. We, we, we look at the evidence and we say, well, this has potential benefits, which are huge. The small benefits, there are risks, but let's take the chance based on what we know and, and set this standard. Well, the anti-vaping opponents are setting a, a very unrealistic double standard for vaping, which they apply to nothing else. Yeah, they do apply it to nothing no doubt about that. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. Most people don't understand how come there's so much controversy around this issue. Uh, and, uh, and I think the only way you can understand it is from a, um, a highly, uh, uh, critique of ideology, I think, is the only way you can do it, and and I think that it wouldn't we wouldn't be in this particular case if um, as the new establishment hadn't so effectively killed critical thinking amongst mm -hmm. you know the mm -hmm. populace, right? Because yes. as soon as as soon as they as soon as they took over and became the establishment, and mm -hmm. as soon as progressives became the establishment, mm -hmm. and probably around ninety eight. You could, you could, you, you certainly know they became uh, unbridled uh, the moment that uh, the climate change conversation changed to where mm. it, it became where the science is settled. I mean, you look at mm. climate change and they're like, the science is settled, mm. right? Mm. As if science yep. can be settled, yep. right? Yep. And you can't have a chat about it or anything like that. Those um, same people, uh, it, the same same type of people, same people are, are the vaping opponents and they're using the other tactic and going, the science isn't settled. That's why we have, we can't allow it. Mm, that's right. And, you know, there is an argument that maybe we'll have to wait for a generational change until some of those people uh, who were stuck in that traditional model will, will, will retire and new people who will see things more clearly and aren't committed to a vested interest or a long history of operating a certain way, uh, uh, move, uh, move on. Well, you're, you're, you're talking about Thomas Kuhn and his famous, you know, uh, in terms of how, how there's revolution in science, you don't mm. really get it until the old scientists kind of mm. move on and mm. die off, right? Yes, well, that's right. There are some very influential people 
who are well respected, who have done good things in the past, but are wrong on this issue. But unfortunately, they prevail. Uh, and they persist with this because it's, well, it defends their legacy. They don't want to go uh, down thinking that, well, actually, someone came up with something better than what we had. And, um, uh, you know, we, we want everyone to keep doing more of what, we, what we've recommended, which actually isn't working. But nevertheless, we, we'll be the, um, the people in charge uh, and, and guiding the process. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, some people have a hard time, you know, losing the position, right? There's a, yeah, a position they have, and yeah. it's really difficult. I mean, just regular people, when they retire, they have a hard time, you know? And so yeah. this is a forced yeah. retirement of your position, uh, not just an actual spot in teaching or in advocacy or mm -hmm. in public health, but your actual the actual position you've held, like the, the ideological position, the public mm -hmm. health position. If mm -hmm. you've spent your entire time thinking that you were righteous in, mm -hmm. in a particular manner, mm -hmm. And mm. then something else comes along and threatens that righteousness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's it? That's exactly right. I think that's right, yes. I think it's a lot about egos. It's a lot about new ideas. There's always been fear of new technology. Uh, and, and and about, you know, protecting your legacy, the people who have been doing what they've been doing for a long time. I agree. So let's just yeah. take a quick um, moment here because I have to do the sales pitch here and let everybody know that please go to support.regulatorwatch.com. That is our new support microsite, which we've had up now since October, where so many people have come up and really helped us keep RegWatch going. And of course, we promote fact-based science. We counter misperceptions. We look to destigmatize nicotine. I think that's just so important. Uh, I mean, it's a critical, so it's so critical is right there. That's like destigmatizing nicotine is one of the most important things. And of course, we hold researchers, regulators, reporters to account, and you've really made it happen for us, but we still need your help. So go to support.regulatorwatch.com, take a look around. You can check out our anchor supporters, Demand Vape, Stealth, Juno, Divine, Flavor Art, our monthly rock stars, and we can put a few more in there if we can. Um, you know, 100 bucks makes a difference, 50 bucks makes a difference, whatever you can spare. Go to support.regulatorwatch.com and give us a hand to make this content. And I promise you, we will keep at it tenaciously. That's the plan. And uh, Dr. Mendelssohn, thank you so much. You know, we'll take Australian money too, by the way. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. So, Look, uh, we've got a few more questions I, I want to do before we finish the show today. One of them being in that I, I, I want a better picture for us painted on vaping today in Australia. Mm. Are people having to get them, like, are, are they able to order them online? Do they got to buy them on a street corner? Like, how are they getting their product? Well, as with every case of prohibition in history, people are finding ways around it. And generally, and often doing it in ways that aren't so safe. Um, so in Australia, uh, it's illegal to possess nicotine, so people are, are breaking the law to get it. But what they're generally doing is buying their hardware, their nicotine-free liquid, their accessories from vape shops. And we have about 200 vape shops in Australia. They can't sell nicotine. So what people do is they order their nicotine online and they add it to the nicotine-free liquid. Now, what they're buying generally very concentrated nicotine, so it's 100 milligrams per mil. Now that's much more toxic, and it's much more putting people much more at risk. In fact, we had a child die uh, recently in Melbourne because the child drank some 100 milligrams per mil of nicotine, whereas the pre-mixed nicotine is, is much less toxic. So people are buying it from New Zealand. They're also buying they're also buying from the black market, maybe 15 percent in Australia and you know, who knows what's in these black market products. So people have found ways to get their nicotine and um, but they are at risk of being prosecuted and they will then have a criminal record and potentially they can go to jail. But I think more importantly, people who want to obey the law are continuing to smoke when they otherwise would not have to. And I think that's criminal. How much damage do you think has been done to vaping's reputation? We describe it as the virtues of vaping, and the virtues of vaping have been, you know, destroyed, at least to a mm. large extent, that really attacked when it came to the hysteria over the lung illness. 
It really yeah. was going after the virtue of vaping. Yeah. Look, I think I think it's done it's done a lot of damage. I think it's going to take a long time to recover. But um, I, I think there is there is still hope because increasingly we we are getting more and more vapors in Australia who are telling their story, sharing it with their friends. I'm seeing it constantly with my patients. You know, we know it works. In the real world, we know it works. It is saving lives. And I think it's an unstoppable force. It may unfortunately take longer than we'd like, but, um, you know, in the real world, people are using it and people who use it are finding it works. Most people think it's, it's, it's crazy, it's dangerous, vaping's worse than smoking. But those who try it are actually um, are finding it, it, it's a wonderful way to quit. I mean, we still encourage people to quit with conventional smoking cessation treatments. That's, that's always the first priority. But the reality is that many people just can't quit. And most of them are going to die from smoking. So we've got to help those people. Well, and let me bring up to the fact here is that there's a lot of people or percentage of smokers that really are quite happy having a nicotine habit. I know yeah. for myself, I mean, yeah. I'm quite happy with my nicotine habit. And I was really happy to migrate my nicotine habit from something costing $9,000 a year yeah. uh, after tax dollars to something a fraction of that. Uh, yeah. And it's not killing me. Well, in Australia, a packet of Marlboro 20s is $30. In Canada, it's, I think, about $17. So in Australia, it's even more of a financial issue. Uh, but yeah, nicotine is not... Nicotine's been demonized. It's it's crazy. We've always associated with smoking, thinking it's harmful. It's a relatively benign recreational stimulant. You know, why don't we stop people drinking coffee? It's it's none of the government's business. It's not doing anybody else harm. And I don't think it's right for the government to be regulating and banning nicotine for that reason. So you've been a family doctor essentially for 27 years, a GP in Australia would you recommend vaping to patients? Oh, absolutely. I, I do it all the time. These days I work just as a tobacco treatment specialist. So I people, see people who have smoked. Invariably, they've tried all the other methods repeatedly and come to me thinking, well, you're my last chance. Can you help me? And look, I explain all the options to them. But, you know, vaping is something most of them haven't tried. And, you know, we, we, it works for some people. It doesn't work. And, and they need to understand that, yes, there are risks like there are with everything else, but um, uh, in the real world is actually helping people and it's saving lives. And it's, it's criminal to me that it's being uh, denigrated quite inappropriately by people who should know better. Because I think people have a right to the best possible health. I mean, there are international treaties about people's fundamental right to good health. And I don't think it's right for the government to say, well, you can keep smoking and we love the money, but you're not allowed to switch to something that we know is much less harmful and which isn't going to hurt anybody else. That, that is really morally wrong. And I think that's the situation we've got in Australia. You know, you, you took me right to where I wanted to go, and that was to ask you about the WHO. What, mm. We have yet to talk about the international, you know, undemocratic organizations that are out there that are driving the bus on a lot of this especially in the low and middle income countries look you know the who has done a lot of good things in the past there's no question about that but on this they're wrong they're taking a lot of money from people who are influencing their policy uh, it's said and you know that they clearly are wrong they've got a prohibitionist uh, uh, abstinence only approach and they're spreading misinformation. I mean, that question and answer they published recently was, it was a disgrace. Uh, it was clear lies. And I, I can't even believe that they believe that. So, I mean, that, that's what we're up against. And unfortunately, they're going to lose credibility because people are looking at them and saying, what is your problem? You know, here's the evidence. How can you say that? But unfortunately, it's influential in low and middle income countries who don't have the resources to do a proper analysis like we've been able to do, they're going to be influenced by that and it's going to cost lives. In Australia, so I want to know if this happens to you, every single person in Canada and in the US, so you're my first international person to ask, 
every single Canadian or American that types in the word vape, it doesn't matter in what context, you're going to get screaming ads from Google up at the top sponsored that are like, you know, vaping's poisonous and it'll kill you from your yeah. local government, right? We get it from Health yeah. Canada. We get it, yeah. you know, so, it, so are, is that happening in Australia too as well? Yeah, look, we have the international web. I mean, and unfortunately, you know, there's a huge amount of fear and misinformation and, and sensationalized headlines. So um, people, people will read what they read on the internet. And most people that I speak to, you know, even educated people, you say, well, what do you know about vaping? They say, oh, that's worse than smoking. So unfortunately, there is that um, pervasive misinformation through the community. And it only take, it takes individuals to convince other individuals and, and maybe smokers to try it to, uh, to really find out and, and to look into it properly. But unfortunately, there's so much misinformation on the internet and, and people, it's very hard for them to, to know what's valid and what's not. Yeah, I'm just, uh, I just threw up a uh, quick search here on vaping. I'm sure you can see that. And, it's, mm -hmm. you know, you just type vaping in, you, you get Johns Hopkins. And certainly, I mean, that's like the home of, of public health. I mean, that's the, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, the very, that's the ground zero of progressivism is Johns Hopkins. And it's now, right, the Bloomberg School of Public Health. Right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's their ad. But this ad could be anything. And so what this says to me, and this has now been months now of this, and it wasn't happening before, Google was not selling any word, allowing any word to be used for uh, its keyword ads. So it made a conscious decision to allow these ads and then obviously has gone out and made you know packages available uh, on certain keywords. Because you, even if you search like personality names and stuff like that, if they're connected with vaping at all, you're gonna get uh, uh, the horrible scare stuff. And then of course, you know, you've got Lung Association first, uh, second, then you've got Kids Health Org, and then we've got BC here in Health Canada. I mean, that's what vaping is, it's just, this is stacked, stacked search results by Google. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think what people don't understand is that not all research or views are equal. So there's often very solid evidence in favour of vaping, but some sensational headline from, you know, with respect to the Daily Mail um, is given uh, a higher priority and, and people aren't able to balance it up. What do you know about the, and I'm asking you because of your expertise as an actual doctor, um, what do you know about these rags, like the medical news today and these, and these other online rags that just seem to be story mills for, you know, attack pieces that are supposed to be medical in some manner or another? Yeah, it's disappointing. I think it just fits in with the agenda and the, the group think and, you know, they're fed information. And I think journalism these days is often about, just taking a story that you're given, and if it somehow makes fits with what you know, um, it's accepted. But even in the traditional peer-reviewed medical uh, journals in Australia, we have had great trouble uh, getting peer-reviewed articles published. Uh, from the Medical Journal of Australia, you know, honestly, we've submitted a number of articles that have been rejected, even without peer review. One we submitted was not accepted for peer review, uh, it was published yesterday in the Drug and Alcohol Review, and it basically says, look, uh, this is the analysis that shows that vaping's working, uh, this is an analysis that shows that it's taken up by huge numbers of people, and, and this shows that in countries where it is popular, it's having an effect on population rates. So in Australia, we're confident that it will have an effect on reducing smoking. And we couldn't get that published in, in, in uh, the Medical Journal of Australia. Uh, the, Medi the Drug and Alcohol Review thought it was a, a, a good a study, and I'd recommend anyone who has a chance to have a look at that. And that's this right here, uh, mm. correct? Yes, that's the one, yes. Yeah. Um, so and look, two of the people I've co-authors there, Ron Borland and Wayne Hall, are eminent, know much more about this than I do in, in this field, and uh, I, I think it's a very rigorous assessment and it shows how allowing vaping in Australia could make a difference. And it's saying that, look, there's two choices. You can either ban it or you can regulate it in a way, a sensible way that will allow smokers to access it, but uh, will restrict access to young people. And that's the way we need to go. And I think for Canada, 
um, you know, and you asked me what, what are the possible lessons for Canada here, I think it's a matter of finding a balanced solution. Everyone's worried about young people. I think that's exaggerated. But you could find a solution like that in the UK where you allow addicted smokers access because you really have no right to stop them. But you, of course, restrict access to young people. You raise the smoking and vaping age to 21 because there's good evidence for that. Um, and you, you, you enforce restrictions. You make vapes available only at adult-only outlets or, and vape shops or whatever you need to do in each country because there is a solution. That's the way to do it. And uh, I, I, think, I think we can do that, and they've done it in the U.S., uh, and the UK, and there's no reason why we can't do it here. I mean, we need to stop looking at the US. Uh, unfortunately, they haven't done it properly. They advertise, they have scary campaigns to young people. Uh, it's it's just not regulated in any way. You know, we can't look at that and say, well, it's not working. We should look at the UK and say, well, actually, if we do it properly, it does work. And I, I think that's what Canada needs to do because the debate is not driven by evidence and i think we have to accept that just telling people the evidence isn't enough i think we've got to go beyond that what about in the u.s uh is there different advice there in the u.s yeah for, uh, for the for the americans because they, they're in a different spot for one you know they've got uh, they've got certain freedoms apparently guaranteed in the constitution yeah. however that yeah. seems to not be uh protecting them right now yeah look i i think yeah, unfortunately the u.s is got it all wrong with vaping. I mean, the fact that people, they can advertise, they can have unlimited strengths of nicotine. Um, um, young people seem to have ready access. The government's telling young people you mustn't vape. And, of course, the first thing they're going to do is go out and vape. Um, you know, I, I think they need a, a much more sensible regulatory model than, than what they've got. And I don't want to interfere with the US politics, but... It's clear to me that, that they need to find a balanced, uh, sensible regulatory model which protects kids but allows adults to, 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 to take on a much safer alternative which will save their lives. So considering that, of course, uh, Australia and Canada are Commonwealth countries, is there anything that Canada could learn from Australia in Australia's approach to vaping? Yeah, look, I don't think Australia has been a very good model in in in, in vaping so far. Uh, I think we've been good with the traditional tobacco control strategies, but I think without vaping, our smoking rates have stalled, and I think that's a lesson to all other countries. We've unfortunately been a very uh, disappointing experiment. Australia is, you know, the Western country that hasn't allowed vaping, and look what's happening to our our smoking results. So I think that's an important uh, message that the Canadian government should take. Um, and I think they should just, I think they should develop their policy based on the evidence, dispassionately, not on the politics, not on the ideology. It's too important for that. Uh, I think the evidence, like we do with everything else, you know, the evidence should be evidence-driven, not, not ideology-driven. And I think that should apply to Canada as, as well as anywhere else in the world. And lastly, for Australia, is there going to be hope in the future or is it going to take a generation? Yeah, it's not going to happen quickly. Uh, I think we've got a few cracks in the wall and we've got some other plans which we're looking forward to following up this year, which I won't reveal. But um, I, I'm sure we'll get there. And Alex Wodak, who's, who's our, our um, um, mentor in this area has, has, has sees this pattern and can, keeps telling us, look, just be patient, it'll happen. Uh, I find it hard to be patient. People are dying because of this delay, but it will happen. And I think this announcement by the College of GPs will certainly accelerate that process. Well, and it certainly sounds like a very, very, very good step. And one that, one that you'd hope to happen here, considering the fact that it's so bad down in Australia, and yet in Canada and the U.S., you know, the American Medical Association uh, and the Canadian Medical Association are both just absolutely not so against vaping. Mm. Well, you know, on the other hand, the New Zealand Medical Association, the British Medical Association, the Royal College of Physicians, it just goes to show you this is not just about the evidence. 
you know, all these medical organisations looking at the same facts and coming to different conclusions. And I'm pleased to say that the college has looked at the evidence and come to a, a logical conclusions about, based on that evidence. And I, I hope that Canadian doctors do the same thing. Well, that's fantastic. Well, Dr. Mendelson, I want to thank you very much for coming and joining us on RegWatch today. My pleasure, Brent. Thank you very much for asking me. You bet, and just stay right there. Well, that's it for this edition of RegWatch. Before you head off, please go over to support.regulatorwatch.com and consider making a financial contribution to our vaping coverage. It's easy. Just dig into your wallet and find a few dollars and toss them our way. You'll be happy you did it, and so will we. And while online, don't forget to like us on Facebook and to please follow us on Twitter. For RegulatorWatch.com, I'm Brent Stafford.